Get Up Nation. I hope you're enjoying the Get Up Nation podcast on www.anchor.fm. As a podcast host on over 20 platforms, I really enjoy how easy it is to use Anchor, how Anchor makes everything I need available in one place for free, accessible on your smartphone or desktop computer. Go to www.anchor.fm now. In case you didn't know, Anchor has creation tools that allow you to record and edit each episode. If you're concerned about the distribution of your hard work, don't sweat it because Anchor takes care of that too. If you're considering becoming a podcaster, I would highly recommend Anchor as your choice to begin sharing your content with the world. Get Up Nation. My name is Ben Biddick. I am the creator and host of the Get Up Nation podcast, where I serve individuals, organizations, and societies to develop and sustain resilience and perseverance. I'm the co-author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance with former Major League Baseball player and CEO of Luron Living, Adam Greenberg. The Get Up Nation podcast is brought to you in partnership with GotYourSixCoffee.com where Navy veteran Eric Hadley is committed to serving first responders, veterans, and their families through a variety of nonprofit organizations. No stranger to adversity, Eric has fused necessity of coffee with his passion for public service. You're already purchasing coffee. Why not empower your coffee with purpose? Why not purchase coffee that not only has your six, but also has the backs of those who don a uniform of service for our communities and great country. Learn more about Eric and his freshly roasted award-winning coffee at gotyoursixcoffee.com. Welcome to this episode of the Get Up Nation podcast. Recently, I had the great honor of speaking with Lama Paulden Droma. She is a licensed psychotherapist, spiritual teacher, and coach. She studied Buddhism in the Himalayas with some of the preeminent Tibetan masters of the 20th century including Kalu Rinpoche, who authorized her to become one of the first Western Lamas. She is the founder of the Sukha City Foundation in Fairfax, California, and is the author of the new book from New World Library called Love on Every Breath, Tonglen Meditation for Transforming Pain into Joy. Lama Paulden shares how, regardless of our religious tradition, background, or non-religious tradition, this thousand-year-old spiritual practice described in her book opens the heart to uncover our innate, awakened love and wisdom, allowing it to thrive. Please join me in welcoming Lama Paul Dendroma to share how we can transform the pain that often separates us into a profound connection that bonds, unites, and liberates us. Such an honor to speak with you today, Lama Paulden. I hope you received the kata scarf I sent you, and thanks for taking the time to be interviewed today. Thank you. Yeah, that was lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Will you share some of the background of this thousand-year-old meditation practice with us? Yes, thank you, Ben. That's very moving to hear where your heart has led you on your journey. So, yeah, this meditation practice is from a Tibetan lineage that primarily, interestingly enough, came from two enlightened women that were in India in the 11th century. The Tibetans at that time were coming over the Himalayas into India to study Buddhism and take back the teachings to Tibet. And so this meditation is said to come from one of these women named Naguma. And then it was passed down the last thousand years in Tibet. And I received it in Darjeeling in India from my Tibetan master, and then I was in three-year retreat later, and we practiced this 
extensively, and it's very powerful for transforming the suffering that, as caring, loving people, we're always taking in from our world, from others, and also our own personal suffering. Why did you feel it was important to write this book describing this spiritual practice at this time in the West? What motivated me really powerfully is that there's so many forces trying to divide us as human beings right now and pitting different nations against other nations, types of people, ethnicities against each other. And this practice is really about cultivating love and compassion for each and every sentient being, understanding that some of us are trying to be happy and trying to find peace, but going about it in ways that is destructive for ourselves or others. And this practice really teaches us how to open our heart, first of all, much more to ourselves and to be willing to really be present and compassionate with our own human self and transform our own suffering and pain into love, into compassion, into joy, and so that we're also able to meet the people in our lives in that way and our world situation. And as we feel what's going on in the world and with humanity, it often can feel very overwhelming for people, and it can generate a feeling of hopelessness or helplessness. And this meditation really gives us the tools to have agency and to feel like we can really transform and liberate this energy in our own hearts, and that frees up our activity in the world to be of much more service and benefit and to have more joy in our own lives. Some of the guests that we've had on the show have dealt with exploitation as children or abuse as children, and in your book you share how when you were seven years old, you had an experience where you were briefly molested by a friend's elder brother, which affected you deeply. You drew from the spiritual tradition you were involved in at that time, which brought a sense of healing to you. Will you share some about that to help some of our guests who have been the victim of similar realities to help them understand what helped you in that moment? Yes. As you know, many children, many people are abused at the hands of others. And of course, child abuse is really traumatic and hurtful. Oftentimes, the child takes on a feeling of shame and the violation creates that. So... At seven years old, when a friend's older brother, who was, I was seven, he was 15, asked me to pull down my pants and touch me inappropriately, I ran out of the room and later just felt this sense of shame, which is so common. And I felt fully dirtied, like I felt like something was now wrong with me and the violation that created that feeling. And I was raised in the Christian church as Episcopalian, and I'd been taught that Jesus loved us and Jesus would heal us. So I decided to call on Jesus and pray to him. And every night before I went to sleep, I called on him and I imagined him there with me. And I imagined that he put his hand on my head and that healing light and energy streamed from his hand into me. And I just did that every night, and just like in uh, Buddhist meditation, as we do something like that, 
repeatedly, it, it actually becomes not just an imagination, but it actually starts becoming very powerful. And one can actually feel this healing love and energy. And so that's what happened to me. And I really started feeling the love and healing and purifying energy that Jesus was streaming into me. And so I did that for, you know, in my seven-year-old mind, it seemed like, I don't know how long it really was, but it seemed like I did it for a year every night before I went to bed. And then all of a sudden, I just felt like, oh, I'm okay. All that is gone. I'm fine. I'm just back to my regular self, and I'm really purified. And so I was very grateful, and I thanked Jesus for being with me, for healing me, giving me love. So that was a very pivotal experience. I didn't think of that as a meditation at the time, but later when I learned meditation, you know, I realized that was a meditation I had just spontaneously come up with myself through hearing about Jesus. There's a quote in your book from Roger Walsh's Encyclopedia of Religions. A portion of it reads, The idea of love has left a wider and more indelible imprint upon the development of human culture in all its aspects than any other single notion. Many notable figures have argued that love is the single most potent force in the universe, a cosmic impulse that creates, maintains, directs, informs, and brings to its proper end every living thing. Will you describe your understanding of how loving kindness and, and compassion are innate within people? Yes, and research is starting to show this now that we do innately care about others. And this movement toward extending loving kindness to the world around us, to other human beings, to animals, is something that just arises spontaneously. Like, for example, in situations such as 9-11, when the first responders weren't even, you know, really thinking about their own welfare. They just rushed to save all these people that were at risk. And we see this again and again in our world where maybe somebody puts their life on the line to stop a shooter that is attacking other people. It's a spontaneous thing that arises in us, and it really demonstrates that our innate nature is love. And love is, in my experience, love is like a healing salve. It's like love makes everything possible. If we can bring loving kindness and compassion to our own selves, we can heal our own traumas and wounds. My book explains a lot about working with that and opening and healing ourselves. And then when we've been able to be with our own pain and trauma with an open heart and bring compassion and love to ourselves, that also frees up more and more of our capacity to bring love and compassion to others in our world, in our lives. It just makes our lives livable. It's healing. It's rejuvenating. It brings enjoyment and fun and connection and meaning. It helps all of us rise to the best we can be in this life. What happens when we are ignorant of these innate qualities, and how does this lead to grasping? Oh, really interesting question, Ben. First of all, when we don't really understand that at the core of who we are, we're 
wisdom-loving beings. We're innately wise, loving beings. Not understanding that we often believe some of the negative messages we've heard. Like, say, for example, as a child, if our parents weren't loving and supportive, they may have criticized us a lot. They may have told us we are worthless or no good, and we internalize those messages, and we think that's really true. We often think there's something wrong with this, or we're damaged somehow, or we're not up to the task, or there's something innately wrong with us. And this creates a tremendous amount of suffering. Then we're farther away from who we truly are. And the spiritual path peels off the false layers to help us come into who we truly are and to really understand and to actually be able to feel our innate goodness our innate wisdom and spiritual teacher's job is to help the person unfold this in themselves. And I think the grasping comes when we don't feel that innate goodness and fullness. We think that we have to get it from outside. As human beings, we're always trying to get what we want or get what we think is going to benefit us and get rid of what we think is going to not be good for us, and that's this grasping and aversion. The more we can learn to rest in the innate goodness, purity, wisdom of who we truly are, then we're able to give forth from that, and we're not thinking that that is something that we're going to get from outside of ourselves. So a lot of times we're grasping because we want to feel better, and we think that, oh, this new car is going to make me really you know, feel better. This new relationship is going to solve my problems, and then I'll feel good about who I am, and I'll be happy and feel good about my life. So this grasping outside of ourselves is based on an illusion, and the more we, again, can rest in ourselves and our own innate goodness, that is fulfilling. And the joy of being alive and the joy of being a human being can come forth. And then our, our giving qualities, our generosity, our joy and connecting and being with others and being of service can come forth. In the book, you describe an eight-step meditation process, which generally takes about 45 minutes to complete. But there is also abbreviated versions of these steps, which can be performed, as you call it, on the spot when less time is available. Will you briefly share some about how your book leads the reader to live with love on every breath? Yes, the traditional practice in the eight steps, you go through each step slowly, and this trains the mind and heart and helps connect us with ourselves and goes through the steps to actually start to connect with this wisdom and love inside of ourselves. And so once we're familiar with the steps, then any one of them can just be done instantly in a moment. So once we have some familiarity, then it's like once we know how to ride a bike, we just get on and ride. So once we have some familiarity with the step, then we can just do it at any moment, which is very powerful in our lives. For example, if we see somebody suffering or being hurt on the news or in our lives, in that instant, we can breathe in their suffering 
and so imagining the light of our true nature of our love and wisdom in our heart center as that suffering comes in the light instantly transforms that suffering into love and compassion and we can breathe that out to the person who's suffering so just within 10 20 seconds we can just have this sense of taking in the suffering having it be transformed in our heart to love to compassion and send that out as white light to the person in this sense our heart is open and we're taking it in but it's being transformed and then that love can benefit the other, can benefit ourselves. And that's an example of how this meditation works. Another example would be, say, we're just feeling really frazzled. The first step is resting in open awareness. And once we get the knack of that, we can just, in the moment, instantly let go of our frazzledness, let go of our irritation or whatever's there and just simply rest in awareness in the moment. And that's like pressing a reset button on our consciousness. How important is it for people to first develop compassion for themselves before moving on to serve others in this way? Traditionally, it's considered very important. And I've also, as a therapist and in my own experience with students, saw that this is very important. Now, many feeling caring people find it much easier to have compassion for others than for ourselves. That's a factor that's also there. But if we don't meet our own suffering with love, it's sort of like going out in the world and spreading love and kindness, but not taking care of our own children at home. It's like from the core of who we are, we need to extend this loving kindness and compassion so that we're not ignoring who's at the center of our own mandala, which is ourself. And the more we're able to bring love and compassion to ourselves and really acknowledge our own pain and suffering and allow that to be healed and transformed by love, then the more we're really open and willing to be present with other people's pain and suffering, the more our own love is freed up then for others. Because if we're afraid or resistant to feeling our own pain, there's going to be a level where we're unwilling or unable to actually be open with other people as well on a deeper level. This is for Americans and Westerners, and the Tibetan masters really found this out after they started teaching in the West, that self-love is the most difficult part for Westerners. There's so much self-hatred, and it's very important that this is healed for all of us. Why is that? What is it, the Western experience, that leads to so much self-hatred? I think that at the core, there's a feeling for many, many, many people in the West that at the core of who we are, there's something wrong with us. Or there's some way where we're not sufficient, we're not enough, you know. And the Dalai Lama talked about this, that after some years of teaching in the West, he said he was just really blown away with shock by how much self-hatred and this kind of feeling that there is in the West. And he 
shared a story that after he'd been contemplating this and trying to teach to this for many years, he invited a lot of Nobel laureate scientists to his home in India, and they had a conference. It was like 15 or so scientists in him. The end of the five days, he asked each one of them to say how they felt in themselves. Did they feel this sense of lack of self-value or worth or deficiency? He said every single one of them said they felt that. And he said, why? You guys have done incredible things for humanity. You're the top scientists in the world. Why do you feel this? They just, in spite of all that. So I think this is at the core of really learning to love and appreciate ourselves and understand that we are beautiful, radiant beings. Okay, so we're confused at times. We do the wrong things at times. We act out of confusion and ignorance at times. But at the core, we're innately good. We're innately awake, innately caring, loving, intelligent beings. Lama Paulden, it has been wonderful to learn from you today and to offer this audience a practice which, it, as you say in your book, gives us tools to transform and empower ourselves from pain to a place of creative, engaged freedom. I always end the show with six quick questions to help my listeners understand the why within my phenomenal guests. Will you run through these six quick questions with me? Yeah. Okay. Who are you thankful for today? Today I'm thankful for you, Ben, for your wonderful work in the world and giving people a chance to really transform and change their lives. I'm honored by that. And now that we've covered who you're thankful for today, what are you thankful for today? Well, I'm thankful that there are so many people in the world who are working toward our common good as human beings. And how do you fuel the fire within you? Oh, by being in nature, hiking, meditating, praying, connecting with friends and loved ones. What is one thing adversity taught you to value? Adversity has taught me that when things are tough, even in the darkest moments I've experienced, that is also where my greatest transformation and liberation has come from. When I apply the principles of, you know, spirituality to myself, the greatest transformation has come through my suffering. What are you doing today you may have never thought you could? Well, I never expected to be talking with you on the radio. I never expected (laughs) to be able to get this book done out into the world. And what will you do tomorrow that you may have never thought you could? Oh, good question. (laughs) I think really open more and more to the freedom and opportunity that we have as human beings to grow, to learn, to come much more deeply into what is really true and valuable. How can people learn more about you and your book? My book is available on Amazon. It's Love on Every Breath, Tonglen Meditation for Transforming Pain into Joy. And my website is lamapaulden.org. And I also established a Tibetan Buddhist center here in the San Francisco Bay Area, Suka City. Org is the URL for that, and the link for that is also on my website, mamapulpin.org. With great gratitude, I just appreciate you taking time today to speak with me. Thank you. It's really, truly a pleasure, Ben, to talk with you, and all my best wishes to you and all your work.